Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back for the very first edition of the College Football Sprint. In 2022, we're just really, really happy that Zach still is humble enough to join us, considering he's become a TikTok star. He's, <laughs> he's blown up in the sports gambling world. All of this in the span of a year. You ever the nonstop Zach Smith. We're we're really happy that to to have another year of of doing this with you. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I always enjoy it every week and. When football season's over, it's like, damn, we're going to have to connect on some other level and some other things so we can still just get together. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. We're gonna have definitely. To maybe some off-season activities for us to do. Yes. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this year, I think I think we have a good year coming up. You know, we've, we're all obviously excited. Last year was a bit painful as an Ohio State fan, but it was like, I think it was like the healthy kind of pain is like when you have a bad workout and you're like excited to get in the gym the next day and prove that that's not really what you're like. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how are you feeling? I mean, you've obviously been doing a ton of coverage, Zach. I think we should probably start with, uh, you know, bigger picture and then go down into, into the individual teams. But first and foremost, like the expansion of the Big Ten and then this new TV deal is obviously massive from like a coverage standpoint. Me being L.A., in LA, this makes it probably easier for me to actually watch the Buckeyes consistently. Um, you know, what's what's your feeling on all this? Yeah, I mean, just you think about the last time that I came on your show. I mean, it, it's like we're talking about Mars now, like a completely <laughs> yeah. different planet and a different world. <clears throat> I mean, the moves that you know, and I, no one in the world has been more critical of Kevin Warren than I have, and I, it's all rightfully so. I don't care what anyone tells you. Yeah. But he's making moves, and he's getting things done right now. I mean, I, I I also have insider information on how USC, UCLA went down, and Gene Smith really pulled those strings and made it happen. But Kevin Warren didn't screw it up, right? So that's that's yeah. better than than everything he did with COVID and, and all of that situation. But it's crazy. I mean, the, the TV deal that they inked, over $100 million per school and with with, with an elevator clause, so now they're deep in talks with Oregon and they might, you know, looking to add more teams and that numbers that that TV contract is just going to go up. And it's just crazy to, to see the Big Ten getting aggressive after the SEC kind of, you know, had their first blow and signed Oklahoma, Texas. The, the Big Ten was like, we're not going to sit by and be idle. Like, it's time for us to make some moves. And they went out and did it. I mean, grabbing the L.A. market and I'm, I'm We've had a number of conversations about what schools fit. You look at a school like TCU to try to capture Dallas, Georgia Tech to capture Atlanta, Miami to capture the South Florida market. I mean, they could really, I mean, surround the SEC almost like an, a, a war and, and, and try to take a bite out of, out of college football because everyone's chasing the SEC right now. Yeah, to kind of, kind of support your point, Zach, this is kind of a deja vu, right? We saw exactly why we chose Rutgers and Maryland. Um, in the last iteration of when we expanded the Big Ten, it's always about the TV deals. It's not about whether this team fits with the values of the conference and any of that. It's none of that. Like anybody who believes that that's the case um, should have seen this. And Bill Delaney, you know, to you know, I know you're hard on Kevin Warren, but the good thing that 
you know, it's, sometimes it's good to have somebody in that CE role that's good at following instructions and yeah. knowing <laughs> what's worked before. Bill Delaney, obviously, you know, initiated this um, with the Rutgers in Maryland. That's how we got all of the East Coast television rights. And that's where the money is. And now the fact that now we've expanded um, into basically covering the entire nation east to west from a TV standpoint, Big Ten teams, literally not even the worst team in the conference, has any excuse to not be good anymore. Um, because when you have those type of resources are supposed to lead to results so long as the, the resources are re used efficiently. And I remember in the old Big Ten deal with Rutgers and, and Maryland, this was probably only three or four years ago, each Big Ten school was getting $33 million or something like that, and that was a huge deal. Now you're talking about essentially tripling that number um, in terms of what just the TV rights alone, the revenue that it's going to bring in. And, you know, this does have a trickle-down effect for, for the entire university. When your programs are bringing in that type of money, it helps fund so many other things around the university as well. So it's really going to elevate each of these schools, not just on the sports, from the sports side, but also have a trickle-down effect in elevating the opportunity for the universities themselves. There's no doubt. And I think you said something there that, that we can't just blow by is, is these schools, there needs to be some kind of accountability structure that these schools use these resources to better their programs, right? Because I, I did a whole show about recruiting budgets. And as a Big Ten fan, a Midwest football fan, I want the Big Ten to be better than the SEC. I just do selfishly. That's what's, that's what I want, Right. And there's certain schools like Wisconsin and Iowa that are not holding up their end of the bargain when you look at how much money they spend. Georgia spends over $3 million a year on a, on a recruiting budget alone. Iowa and Wisconsin spend four hundred grand, And it's like, if we're going to be giving them a $100 million TV rights deal, I believe there should be some form of commitment and accountability to, hey, buddy, you got to spend some of that on recruiting. We want you to be good. It'll help us all out, right? Yeah, I, th I think it's well said. And then I saw this this other comment from uh, the Big Ten. I don't remember who it was in the organization, but essentially voicing that they wanted to do some sort of NIL thing as a portion of this as well. And I think it's it's pretty cool to see that the conferences are starting to get involved in this now. We saw Ohio State really pave the way with that nonprofit model that they created. I mean, we all knew NIL was going to lead to the Wild West and uh, it's fun when your people capitalize on that. Yeah, it really is. Zach, Zach, to kind of support your your fear or concern, this is what the challenge is of, and if you look at it at every level, it's not like we haven't seen the examples already. You know, it doesn't, it, you're not encouraged. When, when you're sharing equally and you're getting a check regardless, and this is what happens with the NFL TV rights deals, what you see is that there are, are going to be owners and people who run those organizations that no longer understand that you have to win because there's no consequence for losing. So they don't really care and there's not an incentive because everybody's get, getting an equal share of the pie, right? And $100 million is a lot of money. Where's the incentive? Like you said, how do we force an incentive or an accountability that this money just doesn't come? But then, you know, you get into that 
that whole conversation around amateurs versus pros, which literally there is no line anymore with NIL. Oh, no, TV. There's that line is gone. So that line is let's so just talk about it like it's the same. It anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, and especially now, I mean, Gene Smith, Kevin Warren, CJ Stroud, they're openly basically admitting like, listen, in the near future, there's going to be a revenue share with these athletes. Like there's no way you could sign a, a multi-billion dollar TV rights deal. And then these professional athletes is what they are now are going to yeah. sit there and go, wow, congrats guys. You guys made a hundred million. They're like, no, no, no. They're watching me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely going to happen. Do you think, do you think overall, Zach, that um, the teams will be able to take the momentum from this and actually improve? Or do you think only a few will really capitalize? I, it, the rich are going to get richer. I mean, <laughs> to, to sit here and think that all of a sudden Wisconsin and Iowa are going to become some recruiting juggernaut, like they never have been, never will be. Ohio State, Alabama, those schools, they just you just gave them more ammunition, right? It's like giving giving the United States a bunch of nuclear weapons. It's like, what are they going to, now they're going to chill out and, you know, Canada's going to rise? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be business as usual. We have enough of a history here. This isn't, just because the money has gone up this much doesn't mean that they weren't all getting a whole bunch of money over the last decade or so. As long right. as the Big Ten Network has existed, every school has had the same opportunity to use these resources. But what do we still have? We have Ohio State University and a whole bunch of other teams. That's what the conference is. But hopefully with the resources and bringing in schools like USC and UCLA, we can also add some real competition because – you know, as excited as Michigan fans may be, that last year was I, I I'm on record saying that was a fluke. They are going to be a three or four loss team every year. Nothing has really changed recruiting wise or coaching talent wise to say anything else. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a, a, a theory and, and it'll never happen, but I want to throw it out there just for your to get your opinion. I believe there were two super conferences, right? Which I, I don't think it's going to actually happen where it's just two conferences. But if we could, if we could get there, right? Kind of an AFC, NFC, a North versus South, like a civil war of college football. <laughs> can we institute and can we learn from other great sports, right? And, and, and really research European soccer and institute a relegation model where it's like, all right, if you suck really bad, you get bumped down and now you only get 50 million, not 100 million because now you're in the B League. I think I think it would solve all the problems. That'd be huge. And they kind of have it like with the NIT tournament and the NCAA tournament in basketball. Yeah. And I mean, from a football standpoint, it's just never been it's never been addressed because everyone's like, oh, well, like adding a game does so much to players' bodies. That's always been the argument. But to your point, Zach, like because the the you know, nobody wants to be anywhere but the Big Ten or the SEC, it creates a lot of room, especially with the financial incentives, to have your blue chip and kind of top tier programs in those in those uh groups and then it solves the incentive thing you're commenting on b to make sure that people still have a desire because if you do get relegated doesn't mean you don't have a fan base that shows up but it also right. it shows the difference between like you shouldn't put big dollars into programs that don't know how to spend them right it's like you have your um you have your wisconsin's you have your you know other programs that you're saying you know don't do the best job from a recruiting standpoint but when you when you give everyone an equal share of the dollars, like you're one hundred percent going to create a situation where everybody who's actually spending the dollars and getting that equal share isn't spending them as efficiently, right? And so I think that's that's like part of what gets really interesting about all this. 
Yeah, I mean, let's. I think real the real fear with this new model that we have, the two super conference model, is that you get relegated to like the Pac-12 or the Big 12. If you Absolutely, like, they, they should bring back the Big East and just send people to the Big East. Like, no, 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 go to go to timeout. Where we'll send Rutgers. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh man, talking to talk, speaking of a school that literally has no excuse not to have a strong program from the resources they generate, the, 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 the student body population that they have and the money that they have. I am very, I've always been surprised that Rutgers, you know, and having that landscape in, in Jersey, why they've never been able to consistently be good at any, any sport. It always has surprised me. Yeah. It's, it's it is bizarre. I don't know. I, I don't really know why why they can't do it. I mean, Greg Schiano had it cooking there for a minute, but then it's just I think it comes down to coaching hires. You know, like how has Miami been so bad? Have you been to Miami? It's like <laughs> I could recruit anyone. I mean, I could recruit NFL players to come play college football in Miami. Like, come back down. I Screw mean, the money. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Is that's a perfect example of a university whose football program generated the best. And the worst PR, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> the most attention on the University of Miami beyond it being in Miami that's ever existed. But yet, you know, here's why they don't win, right? Is you look at what Alabama is doing and Clemson's doing and Ohio State and Texas is doing. Literally, they don't have their own stadium. They don't have the resources of this, like, you know, huge, nice practice facility. Now it seems like with the hire of Cristobal, they're doing some of those things. But it's one of those things that you look at it and you say, and they're pretty competitive in basketball too, despite the fact that they're not on, and that's the power of Miami, obviously. Um, despite the lack of these facilities, that's why Miami football has struggled. And if now that they're making that change, people should actually start worrying about the U coming back and being the U again, because literally that's all that was missing. And obviously sanctions I, and all those other issues. Yeah, that came. You know, and, you know, hookers and cocaine, that kind of yeah. caused a little blip in the radar there. But I'm telling you, they're, they're my, like, I, I saw the rendering this morning of this stadium that supposedly they're building. And it is, I mean, it'll be the, the top college football stadium in the country. It looks unbelievable if they actually get it done. Um, but they're, they're my, they're my team, man. I, I just, I've loved Mario Cristobal for, since he was at Alabama and I, and I met him and got to know him. I think he's an outstanding football coach. And I think that Miami has a real shot to be the next Clemson, right? To go from that team. You're like, yeah, Clemson always screws it up. And all of a sudden they're a national powerhouse. I think Miami's the closest team or, or the team maybe most likely to make that leap. Yeah. Do you, do you see this, this new model creating pressure on kind of these, non-power teams like Clemson and Miami, right? They're both in the ACC um, to also jump ship like a Miami going into the SEC or, you know, Clemson going in. Clemson makes the most sense as an SEC school. Do you kind of see that happening here too? Now that, that the Big Ten has kind of made this chess move, the SEC is going to respond, right? And it seems like that's the natural response to poach the best schools in the ACC. Yeah, the the one thing the ACC has outstanding right now is is they're not de they haven't been depleted. The Big Twelve and Pac twelve got decimated, right? They are done. Yeah. They're dead on arrival. Yeah. And so everyone knows that, and it's like, all right, do they merge and create some mediocre conference, which which both sides basically walked away from the table on that thought. But the ACC is the one that's they're sitting there strong, and they also 
they have Notre Dame on a on a string. Notre Dame can't join any conference, and if they do join a conference, it's got to be the ACC. So you're sitting here like they haven't lost anyone. Their basketball is still strong. You know, a team would it would take a team like Clemson jumping ship to cause chaos on the on the East Coast, like we have seen on the West Coast. So I, I if I'm the ACC, I'm sitting there trying to make a power move, like grab Cincinnati, right? Start start to try to make some moves to keep up and make this a three conference, you know, landscape. Yeah, and I don't want to yeah. say this way, but I will. There's a clear intellectual difference between the ACC and the SEC, and I, I just don't think you can bridge that. And that is a fact. There's, uh, there's a lot of really good schools in the ACC and a lot of really dumb people in college in the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Clemson, Clemson could do it, right? Yeah, Cle- Clemson, yeah. They, yeah. Clemson, Clemson could do it. Clemson and Florida State are the two. You're like, yeah, you... You guys are SEC caliber academics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They'd have to move. They have to move down. <laughs> we just we don't shit on football teams. We just shit on their academics on this show. <laughs> what about uh, what about A and M? They've been surprisingly strong on the recruiting side. They 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 look like they could actually be turning into a, a really great team here. Hey, if you spend money like they spent on the trail, you know, it's it's going to there's going to be a, a lag, right? It's not going to be this year. I don't I don't think they're built to to unseat Bama this year, but if they recruit like they have the last 2 years, the next 2 years, you're talking 3-4 years from now, you're looking at a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. What do you think about the the coaching and and kind of the athletic department structure there? Like is it is it set up in a way to really be able to turn into a blue chip, or is it going to be one of those fringe programs that makes the playoffs every couple of years? No, I think I think I think they definitely are set up. I mean, A and M is 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 like an Ohio State in Texas. I mean, it's yeah. not that level, but they and they and they proved it, right? Jimbo Fisher wins a national championship at Florida State, and they went and I mean, full full sold to get him, and the commitments there. Um, that's, you know, when they made the move from the big 12 to the sec, that's when you knew they're not playing around. They're trying to, they're trying to become a powerhouse. They're trying to become a national team. And, you know, that was a while ago, but they, they've been seeking that ever since. And I think this, the, with the recruiting base they have in the state of Texas, and if, if they can keep Steve Sarkeesian's program down, especially once they join the sec, they got a chance to really make a jump. I mean, the, I think the the, the the honest challenge that Texas A&M is going to have is has been has been the fact that you know when a kid has to choose between going and playing at the city that Texas A&M is in versus going to UT Austin or going to Oklahoma, going to other cities, um, that decision was usually you know fairly easy for kind of elite elite level athletes. I'd rather go somewhere else, right? But now. That you have the financial incentive to take kids who are really elite in Texas and say, stay close to home. Yeah, you could go. You, it doesn't matter what city you're in. We can pay you more. Um, mm-hmm. That helps. You know, and an article just came out that the Texas uh, university system is about to overtake Harvard um, in terms of the overall value um, that exists financially within those within those institutions specifically because of the the bump in oil you're like okay now that you can pay people these oil guys these texas schools that are are backed by oil rich oklahoma state we're going to see a bump we're going to see a bump in oklahoma texas texas a&m we're all going to they're all going to be step into that level i believe 
because the passion has always been there, but there were certain weaknesses that could be exploited. Like a lot of kids didn't want to go to UT Austin and didn't want to go to Texas Santa. For sure. Yeah. Texas is hot as hell too, bro. But <laughs> I mean, I think not during October. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't see a situation. I mean, after last season for Texas, I don't see them being great right off the bat, but I agree with you. I think like, the the presence of capital there there's obviously like a ton of ton of community it it will return to being solid at some point you know the question is when when will that happen and the other team we have on our list here is utah who i i got to see play at the rose bowl last year surprisingly good um surprisingly strong team great energy great passion they brought a lot of the characteristics that you know you want to see somebody bring to a bowl game and uh you know looking at Looking at this year, I know they had a few guys go in the draft as well, pretty high. Um, are they like a real program, or did they just have a couple standouts? No, I think Utah's been strong, and they've thrived in the fact in the Pac-12, where honestly, it, it was not very fundamentally sound football, and they were a really well coached, high effort team that was tough, that ran the ball really hard, and so they they've been capable of winning the Pac-12 every year. I mean, they've been in the mix every year, and I, I don't think that's going to change. Kyle Whittingham is, is, just does a great job at Utah. And they kind of, they're like a more consistent Northwestern. Like, they know what they are. They're not going to have the freak shows that, that trot out the tunnel in the Coliseum for USC, but they, they know that they know what they are. They know how to win, and they just give great effort, and they're really well coached. And I don't think that's going to change. Shoot, I think they'll beat Florida week one. And kind of let people know that, that, that this is going to be a year in year out deal for them. Love that. And, and Nina, the other thing is Utah is a beautiful place. Like I, I have some, some cool. friends who are uh, NFL guys that live out there now. Um, and so, from a recruiting standpoint, it's 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 a nice city. You think the word Utah, and you're like, oh, yeah. this is terrible. But if you've ever been well, to Salt Lake City, it's a great it's a great city. And it's funny you say that because when Urban took the Utah job from Bowling Green. Everyone was like, did what you just said, like Utah, what? Like this guy yeah. was in the mix for Michigan State. And you're like, he took the Utah job. And I remember talking to him about it. And he was like, he went out there when they were, were courting him, trying to get him to go. And he said he went out there. And because of the Olympics in Salt Lake, the yep. facilities, the city, everything was just, he was like, I was blown away. And that's why he took the job, because they had some talent. They had a good recruiting base. And Salt Lake City was a monster. He had no idea. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To hit a, lot, a lot of uh, LA, LA folks are moving out there as well. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but Post Malone lives out there now. So there's this like, you know, influencer startup community kind of happening. Um, within our conference, we saw last year, Michigan State, obviously off the transfer portal, put up a really surprisingly strong season. Um, Iowa was looked at as one of the better teams in the conference for most of last year. Uh, are you... Are you seeing any teams this year in the Big Ten, Zach, that you think are going to have a standout year? Well, I mean, I, I, honestly, Ohio State fans don't like to hear it, but I think Ohio State and Michigan are going to be 11-0 and going into that rivalry matchup. I mean, Michigan's going to be really good. I know they lost a lot on defense, but offensively, I, I, my biggest question mark is, is Jim Harbaugh going to screw it up and start Cade McNamara? But if he starts <laughs> J.J. McCarthy, I mean, I don't see anyone that can beat him outside of Ohio State. So they're the team that that I've been all offseason really been thinking like, all right, that was a flash in the pan, like veteran team. But when you look at their their roster right now and what they did, I mean, they 
they went out. They so they lost one offensive lineman, their center, really good player. He he leaves. He's done playing. They went out in the portal and got the best center in college football from Virginia, right? So they they plugged holes here and there. They they have two backs. Donovan Edwards is an absolute freak show. I mean, he was our second back in the country behind Travion Henderson on on our recruiting board. So I think Michigan's the one that it's not going to be a rollover get revenge on them because they beat us last year. I think they're going to be really good. And then the rest of them are completely unknown. I think Maryland's going to see a spike. I think that Michigan State should be competitive. Penn State's a complete unknown. I don't trust James Franklin. I don't trust <laughs> Sean Clifford, I think, is there for like his eighth, eighth season as their quarterback. He's um, still there. I Last I read, he was still there. Now, I, sometimes I read that. I'm like, that must be an old article. But I think he's still there. Um, <laughs> And then teams like Nebraska. I mean, you ha- Nebraska has to be better. Scott ne- Frost is getting fired if they're not. Nebraska yeah. barely lost every game they lost last year, too. Absolutely. So weren't competing. Will Nebraska ever, like, get back to the, the Osborne days? I don't think so. Solich was the end of, end of their, yeah, their glory. I don't, I don't see how it happens. This doesn't have a good, uh, a great recruiting base, but I mean, the state of Nebraska is overly passionate about Nebraska football. They don't have anything else, like nothing. Yeah. I mean, they have Omaha for the Little League World Series and yeah. Nebraska football. That's it. Right? Warren and, Buffett. Those are the three things. Yeah, they right. And, and so you look at it and you're like, well, with NIL, anybody can be good, right? It's possible. Yeah. Like, if they can get enough people in Nebraska to donate money. And, and I said this to Ohio State fans. How many Ohio State fans are there? Millions. If everybody donated 100 bucks, you could raise $100 million a year right now. Yeah, if you have a hundred million dollars, why do you? They do that. Don't worry, they figure out many ways to do that oh, <laughs> multiple yeah. times over. Oh yeah, but but if Nebraska <laughs> can find a way to do that, I mean, they have the support there. And if they if all of a sudden they're offering hundred million dollar nil deals, oh, they'll be back. They'll be really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Let's get into uh, let's get into our Buckeyes before you know before we go too long on the other teams. Yeah, I'm stoked, man. I'm stoked about this year. Yeah. It's- it's going to be a really, really fun year to watch it all come together. I mean, just the reports from from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center about the defense are rave, rave, rave reviews. I mean, Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are, to, at this point, playing at an at a really, really high level, which we haven't been able to say that about a linebacker in probably four years. Um, yeah. So Ray, Ray, Rayquan McMillan and Malik Harrison, and, you know, since then it's been like, oh, God, they're, they're not very good. And even players we had like Baron Browning and Pete Warner, like they – kill it in the NFL, but they were just average at Ohio State. It, it made you scratch your head. So it's so much excitement. I think they have a real, real issue at corner. Their top two corners are, are dogs. Cameron Brown and Denzel Burke are going to be studs. I think they have four safeties that can play at a really high level, which is good because Jim Knowles plays with three most snaps. So they need they need that depth. They have Tanner safeties, Yeah. Yeah, and, and Josh Proctor's coming back from injury. He, he, I think he's going to be a household name. Tanner McAllister, the transfer from Oklahoma State. Ronnie Hick, Hickman, those were the three. And then Lathan Ransom had an unbelievable training camp. And it's like, all right, we got four legit safeties right now. And then the D-line, I think, is going to be a freak show. Those super sophomores are all going to start, and I think they're going to be just ridiculous. That's awesome. And Zach, Har- Zach Harrison's back, too. so He, he is, and I think he's the third, third best D-end on the team. I mean, he's going to be a rotational yeah. player. Think about that. Yep. Yeah, what, what do you think about the uh, the mix between um, man zone kind of schematically? We used to run that press model a lot that used to leave us frustrated on this podcast. Uh, yeah. How did you feel going into this season? 
Well, he Jim Knowles' defense is just a whole different animal. It's it's not it's not similar to to Brett Venables and what he did at Clemson, but the multiplicity is is similar, right? They do so. He has so much defense, and what's really cool to watch is usually you worry about that. Like, if you have that much defense, are the kids going to be great at anything, right? Or are they going to be just good at everything? And so that's what we watched with Kerry Combs defense. Even Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley didn't do much on defense because he believed in being just experts and fundamentally perfect and running just a, a, a few amount of defenses and mastering it. And it worked, right? Obviously, they didn't get the mastering part of it under Kerry Combs. But Jim Knowles comes in, and I was blown away. I, when I studied his Oklahoma State film, these kids are phenomenally coached at a million different things. And it's not like Brent Venables always – make fun of it because it's like chaos like people will be in the wrong place wrong gap like all over the place but then you know it's, it's like warfare with bullets flying like then that sometimes that turns into a massive sack or an interception because that kid's not supposed to be there right that's not how Jim Knowles defense is it is well calculated well coached and they are and the best thing is they're aggressive I've seen so many clips of safeties Starting at nine, 10 yards deep, tackling a ball carrier at one yard or no gain. I saw more in two games than I've seen at Ohio State for four years. Wow. I mean, it's you, you, you bring up a great point. That's the real thing that's, you know, why we can't really even the whole idea of the silver bullets, where that came about is that our defense wasn't reactionary. They, they impacted the game by being aggressive because they knew they had more talent. They knew they were faster than the offensive line, and they knew that their athletes were bigger, stronger, and faster than the people on the other side of the ball. And that's been missing over the last few years, where it seems like we're just, you know, taking a passive approach of just not letting, you know, keeping the ball in front of us, making sure we do enough to let the offense win the game, right? Because our offense is so good. And I feel like that that's really taken away from the DNA of, of the team. And even, even guys that were in the, under the urban teams have, have felt like their the toughness has kind of left the defensive side of the program over the last few years. And then the other thing that, you know, makes me comfortable with, with Knowles as the defensive coordinator and that why that hire was so valuable is that this guy didn't do it at, you know, he didn't do it at Alabama. He did this at Oklahoma State, and when you understand the landscape of the Big 12 and how little emphasis is is, is paid on defense, even in terms of recruiting, um, you're not – Oklahoma State obviously gets great, great recruits, but I would watch them play games, and their linebackers would look like cornerbacks, you know. So a guy to make that type of leap in the Big 12 says, okay, you give him Ohio State's talent, it's inevitable that we're going to have one of the best defenses. Uh, in the country yeah there's no doubt and I think that's the expectation I mean Jim Knowles in a press conference Ryan Day said he wants a top 10 defense Jim Knowles doubled down and said no no, no our, our expectation is a top five defense and you're like buddy I don't know if you saw last year's rankings we'll take a top 30 defense <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah that, literally looking at it we don't even show up bro and and that's that that you know that's the that's the thing that's the reality of what we have to live with and what Ryan Day has to accept now as a college football coach just because you have to be have one of the best defenses because, you know, the word for Ohio State football is pressure, right? When you're given every single thing that you need to be successful and you fall short, um, 
your the pressure is going to be well deserved. I do think this is a high pressure year for Ryan Day because they gave him a boost in salary despite losing to Michigan and getting. I mean, on it, let's just be frank about it. Like we did not look very good in either the Michigan game or the Alabama game. Um, and it and it looked like there was some discombobulation with the program. So there's a lot of pressure there. Hopefully he solved it. You know, he wasn't a guy who had a lot of experience. I was very surprised by even giving Kerry Coombs defensive play. I feel like they put Kerry Coombs in a position to fail, which was very unfair to him. Um, hopefully now with an experienced defensive mind, that balance is fully here, and in 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 this year is the year that we get over the hump, right? He gets a couple of years. He hasn't had experience as a coach, coaching a program, but now with everything that's there at the program, all the resources, Ohio State's national championship or bust, and another loss to Michigan is inexcusable. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it can't happen. Like it just can't. And and I think it's going to be a battle this year. Obviously, you know, it's going to be at home. C.J. Stroud's a year older. I mean, he still has the the firepower. I mean, one of the best offensive skill sets in the country. I think they're just missing. I mean, you, you could go position by position, and you take Ohio State's group when it comes to offensive skill over anybody except for maybe Georgia's tight end group, which is absolutely absurd. But receiver receiver rooms. I mean, it's it's Ohio State one, USC two, and then I, you know there's a big gap. And you look at quarterback rooms. It's Ohio State one A. Alabama 1B, and then a big gap. You look at running back rooms, you can go down the list, right? They are loaded up on offense. And getting Michigan at home with an improved defense and a chip on their shoulder, I think that's uh, that's that that should be work in their favor, right? It should, it, it should end the way Ohio State fans want it to. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and one of the larger topics or issues that's come up on the player front this year is the NIL situation we're getting all the stories of cj stroud driving a bentley even though it was a g-wagon you know everything's getting inflated a little bit um but the reality is the nil is here these big time programs that have been winning are getting the best deals for their players have you had a chance to kind of speak to you know people in the locker room the sports staff the coaching staff in terms of the new challenges that that's creating in terms of keeping guys engaged um, and also how it changes the dynamic of that relationship, right? Because yeah. now you're trying to keep guys, can you coach as hard? Can you be, can you do all the things knowing that these guys have the opportunity and they're, they're making money now um, and they could just leave and go to transfer portal. If, if they don't like what you're saying, they can just get up and leave, you know? Oh yeah. Massive, massive difference. I mean, I think of all the coaches I talk to, every time I talk to them about it, they all say the same thing. Like, bro, you got out, you got out at the right time. This shit is awful. <laughs> and it is. They have to they have to pivot. They have to change everything they've done for their whole career because the reality is those kids like Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, guys that came in and weren't great players yet and got coached really, really hard, those kids nowadays are leaving, transferring. And then the, you don't have those growth stories, those developmental stories because to get them there, you have to coach them extremely hard. And it wasn't comfortable. Terry and Paris didn't like it. But... They trusted it, right? And they didn't have much option. What are you going to do? Go sit out and play at Akron? Okay, have fun. No, no one's yeah. going to do that, right? And so they just trusted the process. They worked their balls off. And then guess what? Terry's one of the top 10 receivers in the NFL. Paris is a first rounder. Like, that's what happens 
in that developmental process. And it's, it's hard now. Now it's more, you got to massage kids a little more. You can't coach them as hard. You, you, you got to go more, you know, scientific approach, like NFL style, where you're showing, you're trying to show them the why a lot more instead of like, listen, this is how we do it. It's like, no, no, no. You have to tell them why you have to explain it. It's like convincing your teenager not to drink in high school. It's like back in the day, it was like, no, my dad might like beat me if I drink in high school. Nowadays it's like, <laughs> no, you could die or you could get arrested. It's like, why do we have to tell them why? Just don't do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely some changes on the coaching front. That's going to be interesting. I already saw some comments on, uh, from, from Stroud on the big 10 deal about players getting a percentage of that too. So that's going to be interesting with that kind of conversation happening in tandem as well, since the players are a lot more educated these days about how they're involved in the business and the kind of value that they create. Yeah, I mean, the elite guys like CJ, that's like what to Zach's point, the elite guys like CJ and the elite guys at this program, they're elite for a reason. They've got it figured out. They're going to do the work. Like Zach said, you know, we are talking about the issue is going to come down to the 17, 18 year olds that are coming in. There were maybe three star, four star recruits um, that that come in. Are you going to be able to develop them to be as good as CJ Stroud? anymore in this new system like is it just going to be all the elite elite stars pick a handful of colleges and those those four schools compete every year or are we going to see the stories of like you know the 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 kid who was you know jj white is the biggest example you know very poorly recruited got developed and then becomes a star are we even going to see those stories anymore because what the transfer portal does is now the accountability right if you don't like it where you're at you go to the school that's going to treat you the best and give you the opportunity. That doesn't mean that you're being developed to be good enough uh, to be to go to the next level. You're just getting an opportunity to get on the field. There's a difference between those two things. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I just think about my time at Ohio State, and then I, you know, the some of the players that that Buckeye fans just love, right? They great players, guys like Malik Hooker. Taekwon Lewis, the two I mentioned, the two receivers, there's an endless number of stories of kids that just weren't ready yet. And it took two years, three years, and all of a sudden they popped and you're like, there it is. There's the developmental story that you're, you're trying to, to get these kids to realize. It's just, it's still going to exist, but it's going to be far more rare. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. But you know what, man? I mean, I, th- I think at the end of the day, like the players who have that character trait in them, it doesn't matter what program they're at. They're going to they're gonna get themselves to where they're trying to get to because ultimately, like, NIL is great, but an NFL, especially a first-round signing bonus, is far going to outweigh anything you can make on the NIL side. Yeah. But just think about the world we live in, right? And I'll give you two examples. One, you're, you're a kid named George Pickens at Georgia. You win the national championship as a starting receiver and beat Alabama. And the minute the game was over, the kid jumped in the portal and transferred to Alabama. Like you just beat them for a national championship as a starter. Like you've, we've never even thought that that would ever happen. And then you look at a guy like Jordan Addison wins the Bolitnikoff. He gets thrown like 150 balls in the season and he leaves Pitt to go to USC. And you're looking at it like, what? Like Larry Fitzgerald would have never left Pitt. Yeah. This this and and that's what the transfer portal is, right? Like we know this in high school football and high school sports. Like you see that 
you know, that elite basketball player at a, at, at a, at a public school or inner city school. And that's the, and then the next year you see them at like an academy or a Catholic school. <laughs> all right. Just go to Cleveland. Right? Yeah. You go to the city league in Cleveland. All those kids are playing for Glenville. Before it's all said and done, they're in, they're in again, academy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, can we do some uh, college football playoff predictions way too early? I'm down. Who you guys got? Well, I I will say I, I think it's it's Alabama Ohio State, which is probably the most common take in the world, right? And then I I, I watched a guy Josh Pate, who has probably one of my favorite college football shows, and he put Michigan in, and I don't think that the committee would do it. But they should be in. If they go eleven and zero and lose a close game to Ohio State, miss out on the Big Ten championship game, they 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 have stated a case after winning the Big Ten last year. They should get in, right? But I think getting embarrassed by Georgia is going to hurt them. But that, so I think they're a team that should get in that might not. And then I think it's complete wild card. Like USC has crushed the transfer portal. They have re-upped their whole roster. I mean, it, it, they have a quarterback, a new head coach. The Pac-12 sucks. Like all that is in their favor. I could see a world where they go they go undefeated and make the playoffs and then just get just destroyed by Ohio State or Alabama. Like I, yeah. I, I could see that happening. And Miami is in a bad conference. The ACC stinks. Outside of NC State being a very veteran team, Miami has a good football coach and a quarterback who played really well. That's a pretty good formula if you ask me. And then I, I'm going to give you my sleeper pick. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I think there is a chance. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but the, fa the fact that I even think there's a chance, I think there's a chance that Kentucky goes 12 and 0 and makes it to the SEC championship game. And wow. I don't think they could beat Bama, but then if Kentucky's 12 and 1 beat Georgia, do you, do they get in? I mean, look, there's going to be two teams from the SEC. We know that, right? <laughs> That's a given considering television rights deals. I won't. I won't call anyone. Call anyone out. But it's pretty much a, a guarantee that we'll see two SEC teams, um, just based on on how much media attention will be generated around these teams. But I noticed that you left Georgia out. So two things on the Georgia front, right? Like they still have a high level of talent. Kirby Smart has done a good job recruiting. They lost. You so if you watch the NFL draft, you know how much they lost on the defense. Like, like the whole city of Athens got drafted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so you don't really see them returning to the fold and repeating. And then also, you know, highlighting why it's so difficult. I just don't. You don't see it happen in college football or college basketball, where teams repeat often. Well, so so here's two 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 points. The one is Georgia. I just I'm I'm not I'm not gonna buy into the hype because Georgia's hyped every year. Last year they had a generational defense and got the job done. And I'm I would contend that if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, they don't get it done anyways. And Alabama was kind of in a rebuild year, which is crazy to think about. So I mean they have three defensive starters returning, and people people have lost sight of the fact that they didn't win because their offense was great. They won because their defense was the best defense we've seen in probably since my like 2001 Miami. That's how good that defense was, and they lost all of them. And so to sit here and think that they're going to repeat, I don't see it. They're, they have an average quarterback. Their receivers, I mean, jump ship and transfer to Alabama. They do have two good running backs, and I like their offensive line, but I think their formula for success was last year. 
great defense, and with the quarterback situation, what it is, the skill situation on the perimeter, I, I don't see them repeating the success they had last year. So it's so wild you say that because I actually have Stetson in my top five NFL draft draft board. For uh, I'm I'm totally messing with you. I'm just like, I don't even know what to say right now, Partha. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been having that as my parody take is that sets up that it's going to go down as the best quarterback this year. <laughs> He's going to be the number one overall pick yeah. over C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Well, here's the other thing, right? Alabama's preseason number one in the last 20, 20 years, twenty one years. It's only happened twice that a team went wire to wire number one national champ. So yeah. the odds are Alabama's not going to win at all. And Alabama did it once. I think it was twenty seventeen, and then. USC with Reggie Bush was the only other team that did it. Wire to wire number one. It's never it's happened twice in twenty one years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 tough. You know, I uh, as far as my top four, I'm gonna, you know, Alabama, Ohio State is a given. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in the ACC with with Clemson mm -hmm. and Miami. I feel like one of those teams, if they win the conference and are dominant, they're gonna get the third spot. Um then the fourth spot, interestingly enough, I think is going to go to probably the two teams that I have are USC or Oklahoma. Oklahoma with kind of what's happening in that conference. Um, and if Venables makes their defense decent because they have the talent there to be a good defense, mm -hmm. um, they've got a shot to take that fourth spot. Now getting into competitiveness in terms of who's going to win, I think we are talking three-horse race. And maybe we'll see what, what Jimbo does at Texas A&M. Texas A&M could take that second spot um, potentially in the, in, the, in, the, in the playoff race as well. Yeah. I think the one thing that, that a lot of people have lost sight of because of what Georgia just accomplished, which it was a hell of an accomplishment, is you have to have a, gen, like a, a, a top five, top ten pick at quarterback to win the national championship. Like every national champion has been Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Tua Tagovailoa. Like everyone had that. And so when you start looking at some of these teams like Georgia without that defense, like AM, who doesn't really have a, a top flight quarterback, you look at some of these teams, you're like, okay, they might have a lot of success, but there's no way they're going to win it all. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, you're, you're spot on there. It's you, if you don't have, I, I, we haven't seen it a lot, but if you don't have that key kind of like transcendent mind as a quarterback, it's very hard to compete. Are we are we seeing the end? You know, this this question I have: Are we seeing the end of the Clemson run as well? Considering Jim, considering Dabo's kind of philosophical beliefs and views. Um, and the changing landscape of college football um, are wanting to recruit and develop guys, not wanting to attack the transfer portal or have guys be able to transfer. Is, is, is there still hope there at Clemson or is that, was that window of time that we saw um, that's going to just disappear as a result of inability to adjust to changing times? I think it's uh, anytime somebody's in, like, just refuses to adjust with changes in, in the landscape. It's always a predictor that they're going to die, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, with their lack of development at the quarterback position for the last four years, five years, I, I just, and the, the fact that he won't 
entertain NIL or transfer portal or any of that. I just don't see Clemson bouncing back. A lot of people are really high on Clemson. They have like the third highest odds in Vegas to win the national championship. But I just, I don't get it. This morning they announced that they, they have a quarterback controversy. Like this five-star young kid is competing with DJ Uyunglele. And, and you're looking at it like, wait a minute. I thought this guy was like a Heisman hopeful. Now he's fighting for his job with a freshman. It just, I just don't see it coming back to Dabo's glory years because he's just, just refuses to to change with the times. Yeah. Plus, nobody likes Clemson anyway, so I think <laughs> we're okay with it. I, 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 I don't like coming on a Clemson podcast and saying that kind of stuff, but I felt like I had to do it, you know? <laughs> the other team that's interesting to me is Texas. You know, they have B. Yeah. John Robinson uh, and Steve Sarkeesian in his, is in year two. Um, and they're at least in the in the watered down Big Twelve at least for one more season. A lot of change over at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, as well. Uh, do you do you see them being able to make that full turnaround, return to prominence in in year two, or do you think that that's or or, or do you think it's it's go- it feels like it's actually going to happen this time, right? For whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. Like I, I believe in Sark, right? I, I bought in, like, I didn't believe in Tom Herman, Charlie strong. I love, but I didn't believe he could get it done at Texas. Um, I, 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 I believe in Sark to get it done, but they just have a long way to go when it comes to big, big guys. Their offensive line has not been very good. Their defensive line has not been very good outside of a freaky pass rusher every now and then. I mean, I think they have legitimate, you know, offense and defensive evolution that needs to happen with up front. And, and until they do that, I don't think they can compete on that level. Now he's going to have, I mean, he's got Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers is named the starter. He's going to make him into a really good player. They have skill in the perimeter. Like you mentioned, they have probably the best back or definitely a top three back in college football. And then they have Arch Manning coming up the wings, right? He's coming in and you're going to have the whole uh, Peyton and Eli circus coming to town every week. So I, I think they're, they're trending in the right direction, but they need to develop, coach, and recruit offensive linemen if they're going to compete on the big stage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, uh, we have we have a game coming up. Is it this weekend? Ohio State Notre Dame next, 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 next weekend. I get all my August dates mixed up. We got Week Zero Northwestern in Nebraska this weekend. Oh, good. Won't watch that, but excited about it. It's in uh, Ireland. It's in Dublin, Ireland. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely tuning in. There's nothing else to watch. <laughs> so. Right. All right. I didn't <laughs> watch that. May watch that. Amending. <laughs> but until Zach, it's it's so good to have you on. We'll have you back next week and really get into Ohio State and Notre Dame, and um, you know we'll have uh, you know fresh blood spilled to start the season this weekend. Gotta love it. Well, it was good to be back, fellas. I appreciate you. Great to have you, man. All right, Thank man. You. A right. look at uh, at football practice. <laughs> Appreciate it. boys, we get on